Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good morning, Trish. We're going to plough on and ignore the man chopping a tree down at the end of my garden. But, <laughs> He's um, quite noisy, isn't he? <laughs> may I just bring to your attention mm. this week a new television programme to delight you in the manner yes. of Marigold Hotel. Okay. Is it a real is- one? It is a real program. Okay. And it's, you know, a bit nostalgia noodle, but a bit fun as well. It's called Five Celebs Go Motorhoming. Do you oh. know what motorhoming is, Trish? Of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. Uh, like a sort of tent on wheels. Well, it's it's a gift. It's a gift mm. for all of us. So you've got Leslie Joseph, oh, John yes. Warrington, who's still on telly in mm. uh, Death in Paradise, Cleo Rockers, do you remember? Kenny yes, Everett's right Kenny Everett. Melvin Hayes. No idea. Ain't Elf Hotman. Hotman. We can't talk about Ain't Elf Hotman. It has not stood the test of time. And finally, in the motorhome, Nick Hayward from Haircut 100. Oh, yes. How old do you think he is? I'm going to say 58. 59. Very good. (laughs) Well, between them, they've got, they're 347 years old between them. Yeah. And I was thinking, because we're going to go on a little RV adventure, aren't we, Trish? We're going to do Route 66, like the Mm -hmm. hairy bikers did Mm -hmm. Route 66, except we won't be hairy. In fact, I don't think we'll even be able to see over the steering wheel, will we? (laughs) We're like little minions, aren't we? (laughs) Uh, I was thinking, who would we take on our... Larry and Terry, that's mm. our alter ego names, mm-hmm. our uh, RV trip. Who would you have in your motorhome? I've got a list here. I'm go on, and you go do first. yours, you do okay. yours, because I can so, tell you've been thinking about it. I'm going to take Derek Griffiths. He's a very big TV mm. nostalgia noodle for me. He was in Midsummer Murders. Oh, recently. right. Okay. Uh, do you remember Play Away, Play School? Play Away, way, Play Away, yep. Yeah, all right. There's not going to be any singing in the motorhome. I won't like <laughs> There that. will be in mine when I tell you who's in mine. <laughs> Joan Collins is coming because she's yes. fabulous and she's very good at moderation. She just has one glass of wine a day. I could learn mm-hmm. from Joan. Mr. Motivator is coming yes. to move, get my lazy butt, yep. terrible glutes in action. Mm. And then do you know who else I'm going to take because I love him? Go on. Andrew Ridgely. Oh, <laughs> from when? <laughs> Yes. He's coming yes, with me as well. Yes, he could bring his banana rama wife. They could come yes. as a couple. That They're would be really anymore, good. Trish. Oh, God, no, are they? Mm. Oh, dear. Okay. Sorry about They're that one, in Andrew. Cornwall as well. They used yes, to live they in Yes, yeah. they do. I mean, do. you could you could take Luke Goss or someone like that well, in your five celebs go RVing. I wanted the cast of Father Ted, but obviously no. that's not going <laughs> to Well, one of them's not happen. alive anymore, well, two of them, two of them aren't alive anymore. But I thought Pauline McGlynn, very funny. She could make me yeah. lots of lovely you cups will, you of will, tea. You will, you will, you will. And you then Ardell, also, also Death in Paradise, Ardell O'Hanlon. Yes. Is a connection here. I just thought I quite like listening to their lovely Irish accents. And then I wanted Mina Cherry so she could oh. just sing Buffalo Stance on loop. I thought that would be that's quite jolly. Too, that's too cool. That's Is not it in the manner cool? of a reality no. TV programme. Okay. They need to be unintentionally right. funny, Trish. Okay. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. 
I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Welcome everyone to this new episode of Postcards from Midlife. Here we are, both half vaccinated, enjoying mm-hmm. our first steps out of lockdown. So um, Trish, it's not going to be long before I'll be able to be at your kitchen table <laughs> in South London, the wilds of South London, stroking your pussy. Yes. I'm talking about Margot. It never gets yes. old, does it? That no, joke? it doesn't. Will she's she be pleased to, to see it. me? Well, I think she's looking forward to it. We're braced. We're braced for your <laughs> visit. Um, but uh, can I just tell you what Margot and I have been up to this week? We're doing a little bit of sort of community work. <laughs> she doesn't do anything us. voluntarily that cat unless there's something well, in it for let her. me tell you what's, what's in it for her i'm i'm she's got because it's spring she's starting to molt a bit you know she's all she doesn't know luxurious. it's spring trish she's no, a cat but her fur seems to know anyway i'm grooming the fur okay yeah. and we're donating it to the magpies in the garden <laughs> for their nests <laughs> I told you there are magpies in the garden and you've just gullibly gone along with that. They're making a nest. They're making a nest. And we thought it might be nice lined with a bit of Margot fur. (laughs) So that they don't mind when she approaches and eats their... Yes. Baby chicks, because that's yes, what Margot will do. Well, it's very high up. I don't think she could get up there. She's not that She's not that agile anymore, I'm afraid. She'll send one say. of her feline compadres up there, won't she, <laughs> she for could her? Do. One of her feline minions, indeed. <laughs> anyway, enough anyway. of that nonsense. Enough of that nonsense. <laughs> okay, so well, before we are back together in person, we are going to bring you today an information-packed show. Our special guest is the broadcaster and TV presenter, Nikki Chapman. Now, you will know Nikki from her work presenting property and gardening shows on our TV screens and you'll all be familiar with her dulcet tones on radio too but in what might be our biggest nostalgia noodle yet we're going to be talking to Nikki about her career in the music industry in the 90s when she worked with people like the Spice Girls, Kylie Minogue, David Bowie, Simon Cowell and S Club 7. Mm. They would be good on a motorhome show, wouldn't they? They would, yes. But we can ask Nikki all about that, can't we, when she comes on? So she will be sharing her midlife experiences as well. And she'll be talking about when she was diagnosed with a brain tumour at the age of 52. First up, we're wondering if you'd ever mention your menopause or perimenopause at work. Is it a taboo subject or do you feel like you can talk about it freely? We'll be asking if there is a need for more support for women enduring debilitating symptoms as they go about their jobs or if women should simply work around what is often viewed as a normal life stage. And for our how to win at midlife section of the show, we've talked to one of the UK's leading beauty experts about legs, how to have better looking ones to be specific. Now, the sun is out again sometimes and we're heading into warmer times. So you may be about to show your legs for the first time since lockdown, which kept us wrapped up in sweatpants and leggings. I've been wearing my leggings for ages. Yes, lovely leggings. Need to get out of those. But yes, so we've got some tips on how to tone up and improve the look of your legs should you want to because you guessed it hormones do have a part to play in the shape of your legs in midlife i mean would you believe it well yes they do indeed so who knew that and of course make sure you download this episode and listen all the way through to the end for this week's hysterical nostalgia noodle where i think we've uh, we've done ourselves proud again haven't we trish <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So, Trish, did you know that women over 50 are the fastest growing demographic in the UK workforce, according to the Office of National Statistics? Yeah, so that means we're staying in work longer and keeping all of our valuable skills in the workplace, doesn't it? And we're powering the economy with our experience and can-do attitude. Indeed we are. Yes, there are 4.5 million working women aged between 50 and 64 right now. This means eight out of 10 menopausal women are actually in work. Um, But do their colleagues and do their managers know about this? Well, the answer seems to be no. A recent survey by Vodafone revealed that 62% of women experience symptoms at work, but almost half of menopausal women are too embarrassed to ask for support. And one in three hid their symptoms at work. So what is emerging today, as people are talking about menopause and perimenopause much more, is a picture of a mature female workforce that is largely pushing on through without any helpful or useful support. Yeah, I mean, that's not great, isn't it? And and we have heard of some companies like Vodafone, Channel 4, and um, there's an advertising agency called Ogilvy's that are leading the way in putting in structures to support women in midlife and empower them to talk about what they need to function efficiently in the workplace. But it's not just turning the temperature down in the room, is it? No, it's not sorting out the air conditioning and where all will all be done. I mean, the ironic thing, I think, is because this has been debated and it was on this morning, this week um, as well, because it's a, a new survey just out. I think, ironically, probably a lot of firms do have a lot of support in place, but they don't know they've got it. They're not grouping it together and Mm. talking about it as support for women going through menopause or or perimenopause. We know there are up to 40 symptoms of the perimenopause, and some of them are really debilitating, not just the low mood, but, you know, there's the dizziness, there's Mm. hot flushes, of course, but there's lots of other physical symptoms that make it quite difficult for women and perhaps a more flexible way of working or being able Mm. to, I guess, talk about it out loud like we should most things. I mean, we never talked about pregnancy out loud when we first started we never talked about maternity out loud or how long we were going to take off or and as we had with Michelle Feeney a lot of times we would pretend we didn't have children in certain environments Mm. because it was just more useful now that's all changing so it's really about equality and valuing your staff isn't it I mean I Mm. certainly when I went through the perimenopause symptoms I would say five six years ago I didn't mention it at all in mm. my work environment and I worked in an almost all-female work yeah. environment yeah. did well, you have a similar well experience? absolutely I mean partly because I think I didn't want to uh well I didn't really know what was going on we've talked yeah, about this that. a lot haven't yeah. we but I just think as well I mean I think I'm um I'm not sure I would have talked about it at work because that conversation just wasn't out there that narrative wasn't out there um but you know on the one hand I think it, you know hopefully we're going to see more companies not just putting it in place and paying lip service to this I think that's the problem they don't want you it's not just another box ticking exercise is it? No. it has to be it has to be tangible it has to be useful and women have to want to use it and and act on it there's no point just putting it in um, for the sake of it and you know and some men won't want to talk about it they will want to keep it private and mm. deal with it in their own way we put this question out on our Facebook group didn't we and we had some quite good feedback because we were yeah. wondering what sorts of things some of our our members had in place. We'll read a couple out. So Caroline says she works in a tertiary education institution and the uh, majority of teachers and admin are almost all midlife women. It is so rarely mentioned other than sotto voce, you would think it was 1952, zero concessions given. I mentioned it in front of a couple of men in IT and they gave an embarrassed guffaw and one made a joke about watching out for his wife when she was in a mood. Honestly, if men went through it, there'd be special leave. 
Well, the point is not to have women leave the workplace. You've spent all that money training them and they're super yeah. skilled. <laughs> and yeah. and they are some women, as we've had on the Facebook group, say, I'm going to leave my job or I'm going to change mm. my job because I can't do this anymore. So you, mm-hmm. I guess what you want is people not to leave the workplace. We yeah. did have a really good reply from Hannah. This is what she wrote in our Facebook group. I have drafted a menopause policy for work at a large investment bank. It really draws together all our potentially helpful well-being offerings, medical services, gym physio counseling nutritional support yoga occupational health in one place and provides guidance for managers on adjustments flexible working and other ways they can help i think flexible working Mm. is required because it's very hard to concentrate sometimes when you're going through all of these symptoms particularly if you haven't got the right medication so having some sense of starting a bit later perhaps or knowing that you've got time to catch up would be helpful i think for women I think a lot of employers hopefully are going to be very open to more flexible working, working from home following the pandemic. I mean, a lot of big businesses, I was I heard that nationwide are going to be yeah. allowing their office staff to work from home. So I think that's going to be really helpful for women to think, I'm just having a really bad day. I can't think straight. I've got brain fog. I'm just all over the place. I can get on with things at home. I just can't be out there and be dealing with, with whatever. I think it's good to kind of say that it's not all men who don't get it and Michelle uh, posted on the Facebook uh, group this really nice post she said I work in construction and sit on a board with nine male directors they have actually been amazing when my hot flushes were at their peak windows would be opened water appeared in front of me it may be that I'm a bit younger than most of the board but many of them had been through this with their wives and were genuinely supportive there was of course the expected banter but I never felt it was in any way about making me feel bad the only time things got uncomfortable was when I burst into tears during a meeting with my MD. That was the point at which I went back to my GP and demanded HRT. So again, it is bringing men into the conversation. Yeah. That is so important. Our husbands, our friends, our male colleagues, we just have to have to be talking to them. I think it's about also talking about your life stage, isn't it? Because not only would you be perimenopausal or, um, or menopausal, you've also got teenage children around mm. this life stage. You may well be caring for older parents. So mm-hmm. being able to bring that conversation in the workplace and say, you can let me go with all of my experience or you can keep me here, just make it a bit easier for me to be here. And also, mm-hmm. if we don't bring it into the workplace, then younger women won't be able to talk about it coming through. Mm-hmm. And that you have to have cheerleaders, I think, in work places for younger women coming through possibly facing this and also if you know about it you can prepare for it and possibly avoid the whole brain fog situation if you get the right medication so it is positive to hear that women are asking for equality and it's certainly a conversation I think that's happening and we can continue to do our jobs Mm. if we get the support we need so do keep telling us your menopause at work stories because I think it'd be really useful for us to come back to this subject again won't it Trish? Indeed. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. 
Introducing a new collection, Hanna Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hanna quality for your most precious gift. Hanna Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Now it's time to welcome our special guest, Nikki Chapman. 54-year-old Nikki is a TV presenter who fronts Escape to the Country and the BBC's coverage of the Chelsea Flower Show, among many others. But her career began back in the heady rock and roll days of the 90s music industry when she worked as a publicist for Take That, Annie Lennox, Amy Winehouse, Victoria Beckham, the list goes on. Her TV career began alongside colleague Simon Cowell and as a judge on Pop Idol, she was part of the team that changed the face of Saturday Night Entertainment. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Nikki. Hello, lovely to see you and speak to you as well. Wow, we've got a lot to get through today because you have lived uh, such an incredible life and had such an amazing career. And I think what's interesting about you is you've sort of almost like charted the Gen X journey, I think, with your career in a way, the kind of cultural moments and the cultural highlights. I mean, you were at the heart of so many exciting things at the centre of the music industry in the 90s. What was it like being in that world? I mean, you were working with the Spice Girls, with Kylie Minogue, with David Bowie. That's a really nice way of looking at it. Yeah, S Club 7. Um, Yeah, I never really thought of it like that, but it it was such a brilliant time. I'm sure people working in the music industry now feel exactly the same, and they probably did in the 60s and 70s. But I absolutely loved it. I sort of joined it in the late 80s. There was money around. That was probably the first thing. There was huge sales of singles and albums. So it meant we had more of a free reign because I worked in promotion, so I was what was called a plugger, a publicist. And it was my job either to make people famous or to keep that fame. And I specialised in TV. There was a radio plugger and a TV plugger. So it meant that I could travel the world, make documentaries, do extraordinary things. But still, at the end of the day, it was a job. But it was a job that I fell into and I absolutely loved it. And for me, the timing was just perfect. Um, I mean, you, so many stars. I mean, you must have some good stories. <laughs> was there anything that kind of, any kind fun. of memories that really stand out for you? Because, you know, you do say that, you know, there was a lot of, I, I remember it well, there was a lot of money flying around and record companies would pay for bands to go here, there and everywhere. Yeah. What are some of the things that kind of stood out for you or some of the acts that you've got a really sort of fond memory of? Well, certainly the travel. I mean, I loved working with my artists and you kindly mentioned quite a few there at the top, but I loved the travel, you know, going to Australia to film, going to Japan on numerous occasions. Would I have gone to those places? I had been to Australia on my own, but I probably wouldn't have travelled. Did you go on Concord ever? Do you know what? When they decided that they were going to get rid of Concord, my husband and I were like, right, we're going to save up. And they were doing it at half price. I mean, <laughs> that some of us all remember that. And they were going to do half price fares for the, like the last six weeks before they took it out of service. 
And I managed to get two flights and I couldn't get hold of my husband to check the dates. And because I was really mean and I was worried that I might waste the money, I didn't book them. He still (gasps) hasn't forgiven me. He said I would have moved heaven and earth. So I never went on Concord. I never did that champagne trip. But I did go to New York and to LA, as I mentioned, Japan. Um, I met Nelson Mandela. You know, I've met the royal family, depending where you sit on that. For me, it was a massive honor. Um, And also just to sort of to live and breathe at the MTV Awards. I looked after the Brit Awards. It was just an incredibly exciting time. But, you know, you girls have worked in the media. When you're in it, you don't always appreciate what you're doing because you're always thinking of the next thing, not the next promotion necessarily, but the next event. I've got to organize this. I've got to organize that. You never actually stand back and think this is incredible. I want to do, you know, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. You just want to the next thing. I don't know whether that's youth. Did you, were you a party girl though? Were you one of the kind of, cause I, in nutrition, I've been in fashion for a long time and, in that you do the music I mean we saw I think we do you remember seeing Donna Summer Trish in Milan and you know being it was in a tiny room and there there, Matthew Williamson had a little gig with Prince and there was sort of 10 of us or 20 of us in in a tiny club and all of that you're right you're thinking about the next thing but I mean I was quite a party girl I really enjoyed all of that were you like that Nikki? (laughs) I'd love to say I was really wild Sex, drugs, rock and roll is so not me. I mean, you know, (laughs) this is the girl who stands in a field and tries to sell people houses. When I worked in the music industry, there were certain elements, shall we say, of that around, and it was very available. Um, You choose your path, and I chose my path. Most of the acts I was was working with were either my age or older. Mm -hmm. I was very young. I was one of the youngest pluggers. I started at 20. And for me, in the 80s and 90s, it was all about having a great time, enjoying myself, but also keeping that professionalism. and Getting up the next day. Exactly. And you know what? If you're out with a band getting absolutely hammered at two in the morning, they all think it's great. But the next morning when you haven't done your job, they soon will pick you up on that. You know. And the one thing with everybody that I worked with was that they knew that I was reliable. I was there, you know, I was going to do the best possible job. And I really didn't want to take my eye off the ball. It wasn't as calculated as that, but that's the truth. And also all my acts really respected me for it. Mm -hmm. Because if you throw up in the street and fall out of cabs with them, that's hilarious, but they never forget. Mm, And in a month's time that will come back and bite you. You know, someone at a meeting or something will remind you of that time. So um, I had a great time and I had loads of laughs and I did lots of outrageous things. But I never lost control. I think that's that's probably number one. You came to the public eye, though, when you were a judge on Pop Stars and Pop Idol, which, I mean, between 2001 and 2003, they, they were the biggest shows on telly. They were absolutely massive. So what was it like when you were kind of behind the scenes and then suddenly you were in the limelight and you were sitting alongside Simon Cowell and Pete Waterman? That's quite a big thing to take on. It is, but you didn't know who Pete Waterman or Simon Cowell were either. I guess, yeah. So we were all in the same boat. You know, it's, you know, you say that. Were you nervous in front of the cameras or? No, No. because we were doing our jobs. So I did pop stars first and I didn't ever want to be a presenter. I didn't need to be famous. It wasn't something that 
I'd always wanted mm. in my life. As you mentioned, I love being behind the scenes. To a certain extent, I still do. So all of us were friends. All of us were mates. We'd all been experts in our field, but no one mm. knew who really any of us were. Probably Pete Waterman had the best reputation. And obviously, Foxy was a household name, Neil Fox. Um, yeah. But when I did pop stars with Paul Adam and with Nigel Lithgow, Nobody knew who any of us were, and I was going to just go back to work. I've put bands together for many, many years, S Club 7 being one of them. So really it was just an extension of, of what we all do. And so it was, it was a lovely bonus to have that spin and to come out. But nobody, I don't care what anybody says, nobody <laughs> realised just how huge it was going to Massive. be. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, did, and did you start, you know, you started being recognised, you did the tv advert i think for a pizza company that, oh, i mean right. it was yeah. suddenly you were really in the limelight and you couldn't just go back to your job no although i did finally oh, okay. I, went, I did go back to my day job but yes it's and it's a weird thing when that balance changes i can remember being in hong kong for business and i just would finish filming pop stars and pop stars People forget that we actually put the band together. It wasn't an open vote. When you saw the yeah. show, it was already in the can. So we'd filmed it and I was in Hong Kong and I was, I rang my husband and, you know, I'm coming back and how's the show going? And he's like, it's huge over here. And I hadn't seen it, you know, remember pre sort of social media. And he said, you know, when you come back, Nikki, when you walk through the airport, you might want to put some makeup on and not wear a tracksuit. And I was like, really? Because yeah, people are going to recognize you. And that was a, a weird thing for me because it wasn't something that I ever craved but everyone's always very nice so I can't complain can I and so tell us about Dave Shackleton your husband how how did you meet him because he's in the industry isn't he, he is as well. yeah. so how did you meet him and you've been together a long time haven't you now know, really yeah. long time um we I started to work. I joined MCA Records, then I moved to RCA Records. I obviously only wanted to work for a record company with initials. That was it. <laughs> and, um, and I met him on my first day, and, and I call him Shacky, Shaq, because he used to be a journalist, and everyone knew him as Shaq, and, and to a certain extent, they still do to this day. And he was the opposite of me. He just he loved rock music. His background was rock. He used to be an editor of a magazine. He loved journalism. He came to work for the record company to look after their rock catalogue, and he had long hair. And I can remember he had the cowboy boots on and the black leather jacket with all the tassels. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, not, yeah, nice guy, but not for me. And just for two years, he asked me out and he moved to New York. And because I'm contrary, I waited till he moved <laughs> to New York and then I decided to go out with him. So he had to then come back. But we've been together for 26 years. He manages or co-manages Iron Maiden now. So, um, yeah, long time in the industry. We have career envy about how your career has transitioned really from music to TV presenting and the kind of homes and gardens area presenting Chelsea Flower Show and, you know, all the TV property shows. How did that transition come about? We, you girls know that we're fortunate aren't we let's be honest we we meet lots of really interesting people and situations arise that you don't realize that you know there might be an opportunity there and that's really what happened for me if there's people listening to this and they might have you know young kids and stuff who are desperate to be presenters don't listen because this is the story you don't want to hear because it was handed to me on a plate i'm going to tell you that i work really hard and i but i didn't I'm not a journalist. I didn't go to university or anything like that. I loved working in the music industry. Absolutely adored it. And then after Pop Idol, I took Pop Idol on the road around the country. So huge auditoriums. And, and I was there 
hosting it. And um, and then about three months later, I met a lady called Lorraine Hegacy, who was the head of BBC One. We were pitching an idea to her and she suddenly stopped halfway through the conversation and said, you should be a presenter, Nikki. And I was like, no. And I'd just come off the first series of Pop Idol. And I said, I, you know, I'm not really qualified. And she said, but you ran your own PR company and you, you know, you've had success. And you're the type of woman that I want on screen. And I was like, yeah, but I haven't got a degree or, you know, I didn't do further education. And she said, who cares? That's This is what it's all about. And then I met another lady called Alison Sharman who invited me in for a cup of tea. And I said, I've got a great job. I love what I do. She said, well, come in for a cup of tea and we'll see how we get on. And I came out with three shows. <laughs> so, um, yeah, very fortunate. But I carried on doing my day job. You know that, mm-hmm. don't give up your day job. So mm-hmm. I did that for quite a few years. And then I got the opportunity to sort of day-to-day manage the Spice Girls for Simon Fuller. So I put the TV bit on hold. And then at the end of that, I suddenly thought, you know what, actually, it's time to jump ship now. I want to present full time. I like the way you said I put the Spice Girls on hold. <laughs> which i just would be too frightened to do especially with jerry that would worry me there's a real there's a real advantage with artists if you've worked with them from the beginning and both of you in your careers will have met people on the way up they will always treat you differently to the people that they meet day to day yeah you've always got that lovely bond they could be lovely with everybody but if you start off at the beginning with an artist be it you know take that or be it s club seven or charlotte church or you know whoever it is if you're with them from the very very beginning they always remember those days it's lovely Mm -hmm. whereas you know when i met david bowie or eric clapton you know (laughs) it's like who are you again you know you're i mean they were don't get me wrong i wasn't disappointed but i was one of many one of (laughs) many yeah Who's your favourite member of Take That then? I've got to ask that because it's, uh, it's Lorraine, a question. who's yours first? I'm going to throw it back Well, at you. Um, I like Howard, obviously. Well, you're sounding very coy as you say <laughs> that as well. Oh, I like <laughs> Howard. I just think he's underrepresented. You know, people don't say they like him. You've gone off favorite. into some zone, I can tell. You're yeah. there with Howard, aren't you? Yeah, he's a personal yeah. trainer. Love. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we better move on. Have they we? must have been brilliant fun. I mean, it must have Amazing. been the most fun. Yeah. They Nikki's were. being very diplomatic here and doesn't want to answer. Trish, <laughs> who's <laughs> your favourite? Tell me, tell me, tell well, me. Are you allowed to say the X ones or not? That's what I what Jason oh. and Robbie and I, I, I don't know oh. I like them all I like I I diplomatic I like left. them all why has Jason left? I don't, I don't get that. He's obviously very happy climbing a mountain yes. in some retreat somewhere and he's probably yeah. living the life. Yeah. But we miss him. It'd be nice if he came Aww. back for a bit. Don't you well, think? Just I think so. Yeah. But I think maybe this might seek in nicely to the next question. Maybe he's escaped to the country. Oh my God, <laughs> I like what you did. <laughs> Anyone though. would think that confess. we were podcast professionals. Oh my yeah, God, you moving me on. Um, is it time you confess? It's the confession. Gonna, because yeah, just what you're yeah. talking about of like, you've had a, an amazing career and, you know, you start watching Escape to the Country on the TV, as I have done in the last year since I ha- have been working from home. And it's become my number one guilty pleasure. Oh, I, I mean, love you. I love you it. Lovely. I like you. I'm not going to be diplomatic here. I'm going to tell you that your episodes are my favourites. Oh. <laughs> but let's discuss why looking at people, looking at houses is so compelling. Why do we love it so much? We're damn nosy. <laughs> oh, let's be it's honest. True, we dream of the escape 
I mean, the reality of escaping is a very, very different thing, but we dream of the escape, owning that cottage in the middle of nowhere, you know, walks with the dog down by the beach. I mean, glorious. Who wants to hear that, you know, you're going to have to get in the car and drive 40 minutes to get a pint of milk or when it's raining or in the winter, there's no street lighting and you might break your neck walking down a country lane. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the reality of living in the country and people in the country will always tell you that because they're absolutely right. But it's just that fantasy, that escapism and we look at glorious properties but also the UK is so beautiful Mm. and it's interesting isn't it because I mean obviously week on week things are changing and we hope that continues but so many of us I mean a year ago girls we might have been in a studio recording Mm, this podcast we don't need to now so Mm. you know if I want to move to Cornwall perhaps I could which I never would have considered before. And so many people now are reassessing the way they live their lives, how they live their lives, where. So whether you buy or whether you rent, sometimes you've got more flexibility and you can get a lot more for your money if you move out. So if you dream of that escape, and it's lovely TV, when Mm -hmm. times are tough, you don't want to hear someone bitching or having a go. You just want something mm. relaxing, something that you know is going to what's going to happen. And Escape to the Country has done phenomenal business during lockdown. Mm-hmm. It was always popular, but it's even more popular now. And how lovely is that? Mm. Is it a midlife thing, this starting again, this second act? Have you, you know, in presenting it, have you come across that people who are in midlife perhaps are more determined and ready for this kind of great big change I mean Trish is desperate to go and live in the country I grew up in Cornwall so I can't I would never want to go and live in the country (laughs) well see you've probably got a really good attitude about a realistic attitude is obviously not for you but you understand the highs and lows and the one Mm. thing we try to do with the show is you know show them these incredible properties but we also show them where the local community is and I spoke to this couple and they were in their 70s and off camera I was driving them around and I said you do realize don't you if you want to buy a birthday card which I tried to do yesterday it took me forever to find it was in the Dales I think it was Mm -hmm. and I said you know and I get the 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 massive freezer full of bread and milk in and stuff and you might need a decent car but it takes you so long you've got to think of everything it's nothing's at the end of the road yeah and they were sort of like well yeah but this is our dream and then we did decision chat and they turned around and looked at me on camera and said well of course if you want a pint of milk Nikki you've got to drive 40 minutes and I was thinking (laughs) just remember what you say when you're chatting in the car I'm used to everything at the end of my road but filming Escape to the Country it scratches that itch I think I have the best of both worlds because I was brought up in Kent and I love the country I'm obsessed with our coastline Mm. but I also like the convenience of if I did move to the country I'd have to be very close to a really thriving market town I think well that's some good advice (laughs) obviously you're working full-time as a presenter at the moment I assume you're commissioned by tv stations you're not on a permanent contract so no so does that ever leave you with feelings of oh my goodness what if nothing else comes up or do you feel like something will always come up and you'll be okay oh what a great question I'm a freelancer So it is, there is a lot of jeopardy. I gave up a very well-paid job in the music industry to be a presenter. I don't think I'm a risk taker, is the truth. Mm -hmm. And then I look back and I, at 26, started up a business, an independent PR company, and left a very well-paid job in the music industry, still in the music industry, but I could work different acts. I didn't have to be tied to any one label. I looked Mm -hmm. after the Brits, the Mercuries. So that was a risk. 
moving from a nice job company car to starting up and employing mm -hmm. people. And then I did it again when I left a very nice mm -hmm. job working with Simon Fuller, which I loved. It's very difficult mm -hmm. to give up jobs that you love. And I loved working with Simon Fuller. And then I did it again. So I suppose I am a little bit of a risk taker, mm -hmm. but the Capricorn in me does need to know what I'm doing. And I looked at my diary a couple of weeks ago and I said to my mum, I've got one TV in there and that's it for the rest of the year. Now things obviously come up and I've yeah. confirmed today, but that's the life of a freelancer. We all understand that. And whether you are, you know, a hairdresser, whether you're an electrician, a plumber, whatever your job, if you're self-employed, there is always that risk. Mm. You've basically always had a massive side hustle alongside a massive job. <laughs> but that's quite stressful, isn't it? How do you deal with stress? Well, I'm a coach. I'm a professional professional coach which most people don't know so I do a lot of coaching what a career coach kind yeah. of life yeah. coach yes Ooh, how exciting which I love I started to do that when I sort of worked in the music industry working with artists and working mm. you know looking at why how where when and then I took it to a more professional level and got all my exams yeah. and my insurance so I can go out and I've, I've I'm coaching two people at the moment so that's something I actually want to do although it's a business I really yeah. love doing that but managing yourself is quite difficult and things always come up I never stop looking for work and also all the projects that I do get repeated mm -hmm. so people think I'm working all the time and I'm not it's just that my shows are getting repeated <laughs> <laughs> so in 2019 your life was turned upside down when you were diagnosed with a brain tumor that must have been a complete shock can you tell us what happened yeah and hopefully people will hear this and it might help them mm. my journey was very quick some people live with brain tumors for years and don't know they've got them mine was very quick it was quite large and I'd just come back from a meeting and I'd got lost trying to meet a friend for lunch and I, it'd taken me ages and when you're not thinking straight in your head you're thinking straight so there's a logic to everything but there actually isn't so when I got lost coming back from this uh, going to this lunch my friend said where have you been and I said oh you know what it's like when you're looking at a map on your phone I went round and round in circles and that for me was just like oh well and he was like, it was so out of character. Mm -hmm. And then when I got home that night, I couldn't read properly the computer. And my husband said, you're just tired, you know. And also I'm a woman of a certain age, so you don't know your body's changing. And then we went on holiday, we came back. And the next day I did a photo shoot. And then in the afternoon, I was walking to do a voiceover. It was a very quick pickup for Escape to the Country. And I felt my eye was pulling. I couldn't see out of one side of my eye. And then I found I was struggling to speak. And I couldn't remember where I was going and what I was doing. Must so I looked terrifying. at my phone. Again, it should have been, but I was finding a stupid logic to why I couldn't do things. And it wasn't until I really couldn't talk for about half an hour. And I thought, this is a migraine. This is awful. Went home that night, went back to sleep, didn't think about it. Next morning, woke up, couldn't see properly. And that's when I was like, wow. And they thought I'd had a stroke but it wasn't, it was actually a brain tumor. So if people are having these funny behavioral things, they might not pick up on it, but if their friends do, call your doctor. I mean, mine, I had the symptoms of a stroke, but it wasn't, it was a brain tumor. But you know, if people around you are doing erratic things, perhaps don't just accept it, just ask a few questions. And if you're concerned, for goodness sake, make the call. And how quickly did they, because they operated fairly quickly on you because mm. you put lots of 
pictures up and you kind of covered it, didn't you, as a journalist would actually. So yeah. would you take me through that time span because you went straight into hospital, didn't you, for the operation? Yeah, so I didn't want anybody to know. I just told a few very close friends and family and my surgeon said, we're going to need to operate quite quickly, but I'd like you to have a week or two to get used to the idea before you go in. If you're an emergency, they just take you straight in. But he yeah. said, we can wait. I was on Radio 2. I spoke to a lady called Helen who runs Radio 2 and said to her, look, I've got a brain tumour, but I want to keep working. And she's like, fine, I'll have someone on standby. As long as you're happy, you're healthy. As long as your consultant's happy, come in. So I love that normality because I didn't have to think about it. And then within and my stepfather, it was his 80th, and I wanted to go to the party because if you have surgery like that, it's not about him, it's going to be about me. So I waited until after his birthday and then I had the surgery. But by the end of it, my nerves were in sort of tatters and shreds and I was just desperate to get it over and done with. And I was fortunate. The surgery went really well. I didn't lose the sight that they thought could happen. I didn't lose my speech. I still have the tumour because they couldn't take all of it out. It was too dangerous. But the NHS did the most amazing job. And within six weeks, I was back at work. And I asked my surgeon and said, you know, I'm desperate to get back to work. My recovery has been incredible, you know, and he said it has. (laughs) And I said, but should I be going back to work? And he said, yes, because for you, Nikki, that's important. And I said, but I thought I was going to be in bed for like three months. And he said, so did I. So everything went in my favor. And you know, the way I deal with it, and I've used this analogy before, I don't tend to think about it too much. I don't want it to define me. I always talk about the bottom drawer, put it in the bottom drawer. I don't talk about it unless I'm asked, because it's always going to be part of me, but I don't want it to become me. But equally, if you don't talk about it, you're not helping other people. So there's a balance. If you feel comfortable and you go through life changing things like this, and you can help others, then I think you should share if you're comfortable doing that. Well, 52, weren't you, when this happened? So you must have been going through menopause or the perimenopause. And a lot of the symptoms are fairly, that brain fog and literally forgetting very basic words. What was your experience of perimenopause and menopause as a woman in the public eye? Not a lot. I mean, I can see it. I can definitely see it from 50 to 54, which I am now. My skin has changed completely. Mm -hmm. My hair has changed. I'm not going to say I embrace it, but I have to. You know, I'm not taking (laughs) anything for it. I sit on the fence on that because it's part of me that thinks perhaps I should help. Um, You know, for me, I I think I've been fortunate that I haven't suffered too much. Mm. I have girlfriends that are really going through the mill. Am I erratic? You better ask my husband that one. I had you, you know, (laughs) certainly getting the old hot flushes isn't attractive. I can remember in the January thinking I don't have any energy. Mm -hmm. And I was diagnosed in the March or April. And was that the menopause or was that the brain tumour? Because I definitely lost a lot of energy. But if you don't work and, you know, I like working and it's a personal choice, the less you do for me, the less energy I have. So, you know, by the end of a holiday, I can hardly work out what factor suntan lotion to do on. (laughs) You know, I've really sort of seized up. I can't make any decisions. And when I'm really busy, I have more energy. So that's that's an interesting one. Menopause or was it the brain tumor? I don't think I've got the energy levels that I had, but then 
you're not going to as you get older we have yeah. to be realistic and rather than fight it embrace it are I mean, you both on hrt has it changed your lives should yes. i be joining the club for me and trish i think it's t- totally changed my life mm. and enabled me to function go to work it stopped anxiety attacks it, it's given me my sleep back so for me it has been absolutely 100%. I don't think I would have been able to continue in my career with four mm. kids and all of that with mm. without HRT. I was just finding life overwhelming for so many years and I just put it down to job, kids, all of that kind of thing. But I was just felt fundamentally unhappy and I, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I had this sort of rage and anxiety all the time and that just wasn't me. And I I felt like I'd become this person that I wasn't. And, and really going on HRT has completely completely resolved all of that and I feel my nice kind of calm confident kind self again so it really it does it has made a difference that's incredible Um, Um, I think it was Louise Minchin she did a big piece on BBC Breakfast News and she's been on the show yeah yeah Yeah. my husband was talking about it it was it was was quite a while ago but he watched it and he obviously read about it as well and he looked at me and he said I had no idea Mm. and the fact that he was really interested and very I don't want to say the word sympathetic but understanding and here mm-hmm. was someone that he obviously respected she's a journalist opening up her private life but I thought wow that's incredible because there will be you know thousands and thousands of women that will be hanging on to her every word and being able to yeah. relate to so much of it but the fact that my husband and other men will be looking at it suddenly going mm-hmm gosh, you know, it's bad enough. You know, let's talk periods. That's been bad enough for us women for years, but you've got all of this to contend with as well. And I think we're much more open and that's got to be a good thing. But we are all here in our midlife. And I think as Generation X, we're very unique, aren't we? Because we've already disrupted so much of the narrative about how women's lives should play out. We've really thrown out the rule books. And, you know, one of those things is that many, many women have chosen to be child-free quite happily. And, And again, you've talked over openly about the decision that you and your husband made not to have children yeah when I started working I mean you're always going to get extremes but a lot of the women that I worked with didn't have families the older than me when I first started out and in a way perhaps I'm guessing they had to make a decision family or career and I think in a way that we are the first generation where you can have both and be very successful I mean there will be people ladies older than me that go no no I'm in my 70s and I ran this and that but I'm talking sort of en masse and all the companies I've worked for for Simon Fuller at 19 the BBC had I chosen to have children they would have been really supportive and that's such a positive message it was a personal decision nothing to do with career because in actual fact the jobs that I do you can have children and you can work the hours that you want to work. You can turn work down or, you know, whatever. But I chose that. I made that decision sort of quite early on. And my husband, he understood and we came to an agreement. You know, I did say to him at one point, if we're going to have a family, and I think I was 32, I said, we're going to have to think about it now from, you know, a health point of view and everything else. And it's interesting because we discussed this and no one ever asks him. Mm-hmm. No one ever asks him, why haven't you had a family? But I obviously get asked a lot and I'm quite upfront. I don't go into too much detail, but it mm. wasn't for us. Yeah. But the one thing that I really always want to stress to people is it's nothing to do with my career. Mm-hmm. My career would have been really, you know, people around me were very supportive had I decided to make that choice. And 
most of the people that I work with have families. They have brilliant careers, but they have even more brilliant and successful families. And I think that's really important. I'd hate for something, or I can't have both. You can, but it's an awful lot of work. And how do you feel about ageing and being on telly? You're 54 now yeah. and you're still presenting primetime TV shows. That's brilliant, isn't Which it? Which has been amazing. But perhaps as I get older, I get more diverse. So I go... Maybe. <laughs> so you, does it bother you what you look like as you age? Is it something um, you give great thought to? Well, I'd be a liar if I said it didn't yeah. bother me. That's mm. the truth. But I am what I am. You know, I never say, I've never been a beauty. I can't imagine what it must be like if at 22 you were an absolute stunner and everybody <laughs> knew you as this beauty because I was never that. So, you know, I I don't think I've changed that much. I've just got older and hopefully I've got older gracefully. But I try to make the best of what I've got. I think that's the thing. I've got, you've got to be comfortable in your own skin. I always dress mm-hmm. for me. I do things for me, not for other people. But looking at myself on camera, I mean, the one thing I really notice is my neck. Oh, yeah. oh, I, can't do I mean, if anyone wants to help me with mine, I mean, <laughs> you know, I can slap the makeup on, but I don't know what's mm. happened to the neck. My mum said, I'm sorry about that. You've got that from me. I'm like, thanks, mum. But <laughs> it is what it is. And what happens next with you then? Well, going back to Escape to the Country, Trish, are you ready for this? Yay. You yeah, okay. We'll send you somewhere gorgeous. Um, so it's going to be Escape to the Country Hopefully more Radio 2, which Mm -hmm. I adore doing. I did a long stint on Radio 2 over Christmas and into Mm -hmm. the new year and stuff. Wanted Down Under, there's a question mark on because of travel and Australia and New Zealand being out of bounds at the moment. So it'll be an interesting year. Last year, like so many people, everything of mine was cancelled. Everything on one day, the whole Mm -hmm. lot, and then slowly it came back. So this year it's going to be sort of a bit of a voyage of discovery, but I'll be ready for it. There you go. I'll be ready. Exciting. Oh, well, we'll be looking out for you on our TV screens and on the radio. (laughs) And um, I think we've learned so much from you this afternoon. Thank you so much for sharing. I've learned from you too as well. Goodness (laughs) me. So welcome to our How to Win at Midlife section. Now, uh, show me your little knees, Trish. Are they holding up okay or have you got ninkles? Oh my goodness, what are you on about? Explain (laughs) to me what ninkles are because they sound pretty bad. (laughs) Well, ninkles, Trish, are Mm. knee wrinkles. Oh, Um, yes. And this happens to us as we grow older and the skin loses its elasticity around your knees and you get little wrinkles around your knees, mm. which would be quite close to little wrinkles on your face, wouldn't they? Because yes. your knees aren't too far from your face, are they, Trish? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you are so cheeky, as if you were like way taller than me, which we all know that you're not, apart from the listener who thinks you're a six foot tall supermodel. But um, yes, <laughs> like it or not, every woman's body changes in midlife. And I'm kind of, I mean, I'm okay with it, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't look at my knees very often I don't want to look younger but it's more about the fitness and I keep hearing about people having to have knee replacements so if my knees are nice and strong on the inside and look quite nice on the outside I think I'll be I think I'll be okay with that okay well um for me it's about keeping my legs toned um because I'm in a swimming costume well I will be soon Mm. hopefully three or four times a week and I always get a little bit self-conscious about how my leg and they definitely have changed as I've got older so as we're going out and about a bit more the sunny weather is approaching we spoke to Kate Shapland Mm. who was beauty editor for 25 years but she set up a brand called Legology which is absolutely brilliant so it's kind of the science and research behind Mm. very specific 
specifically how your legs change and she knows her stuff doesn't she she does indeed and she says that great legs start with more activity um and whatever we do she says you just need to keep fit and you know get out and do more exercise when you can in midlife um as our hormones fluctuate and we lose muscle tone she says it affects our lymph glands and these shift our toxins out of the body so um they're really really important and it's important to keep it all flowing and the lymph glands not only help us to not retain water and look puffy all over the body they also move everything to keep it toned and um, good activity for legs she basically said just whatever you're doing do more of it good activity for legs um, includes yoga pilates running and cycling her research has shown that as we age the kind of workouts we may have done before might not affect our bodies in the same way so we have to keep Mm. reviewing that as we get older and really her advice is to to kind of step up the frequency but she highly recommends bar which is um, a little bit ballet like isn't it bar Mm. it's tiny repetitive muscle movements which keep the tone and we know we lose the tone um, as we get older yeah what is her number one tip trish the number one tip is body brushing um, that's Kate's number one tip and I mean we've talked about sort of body brushing tapping all of that sort of thing I feel before. like you're a body brusher I, d- I did it this morning in fact and I think it's good for getting the old dry skin off as well but um, it's it's really it's about getting your circulation going and, and helping those lymph nodes the lymph system get the toxins out which is helpful for the, the dreaded cellulite and she says that treating cellulite isn't about breaking up fat it is about the fluid around the fat cells and again the lymph is what's needed to move that out so if you can start body brushing any time of the day twice a day maybe morning and night a few minutes here and there that's really going to make a difference if you are concerned about cellulite so you're not breaking up the fat you're encouraging your metabolism to clear the toxins from places it gets stored like behind the knees and what you're looking for with a brush is you need a natural brush and she says to use a little bit of oil with that no need for any plastic nodules you can get some quite fancy ones i think but it's just a simple straightforward nice natural brush when you've done that you should be moisturizing your legs every day with a moisturizer that contains a little retinol and vitamin e vitamin e apparently can help stretch marks early on so that's when they're very pink you can Mm. um, help them by rubbing in vitamin e and the bad news for you trish because you're Mm. obviously addicted to carbs (laughs) and sugar oh no no that's me (laughs) yes you and your hobnobs Yeah, it's me. I've just had a hobnob. But you've got to cut down on that. You've got to cut down on your carbs and your sugar. It's all about toxins. And also reduce your salt intake because we know that salt encourages fluid retention. Yeah. So should we talk a little bit about fake tanks? We've both dabbled in that, haven't we, Lorraine? (laughs) As the pale, ghost-like women that we are. Um, But Kate reckons it's better to go with products designed to give you a glow rather than colour. And I I have to agree because I've sort of given up because I just, it just, I don't know, it all goes a bit patchy and it's just too much of a contrast. So I think these glow products look more natural and are easier to apply. So Kate does have a glow product in her Legology range. So it's worth checking that out. And all of her products are designed to be kind of rubbed and massaged in for deep drainage, which is also helpful for the metabolism too. Deep drainage. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? (laughs) Or should we be doing some deep drainage behind the back of your knees later on? She also said that cold water therapy or just Mm. that cryotherapy is very good for activating circulation. And I did ask her about varicose veins Mm. because I know we get asked about that a lot. But she said that you've really got to see an expert when it comes to varicose veins Tell me your varicose yeah, veins. Yeah, yes, well, I do. I, I've, I've had uh, two ops actually on my old varicose veins, which were predominantly pregnancy induced, I would say. And oh my God, they were so ugly. <laughs> 
those children that cause all those problems. <laughs> and uh, and they would sort of you get that throbbing and and they really are unpleasant. And I think do they absolutely right. There's they do they throb they they throb oh. the nhs will only treat them if if there's a, a if you're getting pain from them and i mean i was well, it sounds awful i was slightly worried about how awful they looked but they were, they were a bit painful too your modeling career didn't it did it brought a swift, 10, end, a day. swift end to the modeling career well on that subject can i tell you a sort of slightly embarrassing story about my veins do you want to tell us this because <laughs> we have got some listeners <laughs> Well, it's sort of a connection with the modelling because <laughs> sprung to my mind when you said it. It was actually during New York Fashion Week many, many years ago, and I was sort of watching a fashion show and I was sitting next to a male editor, quite a sort of charming, posh, slightly older. I'm not naming any I names, know, but you might you know speak, who yeah. I speak. Mm-hmm. Anyway, obviously there were sort of models with like tiny little clothes on and lovely long legs. And he yes. said, oh, do you think you you might be wearing that next summer or whatever? And I said, well, I don't Bastard. think so. My, my veins... <laughs> legs are hideous um and uh yeah you know a bit all a bit stilton oh. i don't think anybody wants to see that to which he oh. said mm, i love stilton oh god oh my god the men Trish, oh, the dear. Men. oh dear oh dear oh dear oh dear but should i tell you Idiot. something else about veins that's actually a bit more useful come on tell me something useful. embarrassing about that because let's remove um, the patriarchy from the yes, varicose vein take it conversation out, right. so if you've got varicose veins it's probably quite likely that you've got those little spider veins as well and i know yeah. a lot of women suffer from that and i i had those and i actually went and had a treatment called sclerotherapy or something where they oh, yeah. inject um they inject the little a tiny vein and with this substance this chemical and it kind of breaks it down and makes it disappear and oh my god it was the most painful thing i have ever had done i had to actually stop the treatment halfway through did you? I, did. You. And I, just, I know i've got quite a pipe pain up with anything but the point of it being really obviously you can have this treatments but as sort of kate, kate says you it, it will be connected to something else something yeah. bigger probably in the see chances a vascular they're going to come back they're going to come back so you might as well just try and see uh you know a real uh, specialist on the, the subject but i think that's ooh, i think that's enough of veins don't you think yes Let's well something nicer get back to good legs is, mm. is the other thing you need to stop doing is wearing heels because they do oh, put yeah. quite a strain um on everything she said mm. and it's not good for the lymph system so sort of limit the time if you're going to wear heels and thank god trainers um came in and took over um and what else does she say trish i like this one well the other thing you can this do this is legs. another pregnancy related one because uh, her quick tip on legs was get get them in the air so lie on the floor <laughs> against the wall don't go there don't go smutty on just, this one it's just very just it's a very nice relaxing trousers thing. on trish i'm just envisaging you on. yeah not okay. thinking it through leggings yeah. whatever lie on the floor with uh, against a wall with your legs up in the air sort of resting against the wall and that really helps circulation you can just feel all the lovely blood yeah. and the lymph and everything you comes down. i used to do that fingers. every night after heaving those twins around for the day did you <laughs> It's very good for your digestion, apparently, lying Mm. with your legs up against the wall. So do visit Kate Shapland's website, Legology. There's some really good products. There's a really nice body brush. And there is something called Sunlight, which is described as lingerie for the legs. It does give you quite a nice glow. And they've got some other tinted leg moisturisers. But Mac have a strobe screen. Have you ever used the Mac strobe I've I've used it on my face, but not on my body. You can use it anywhere. You can use it anywhere. So I use strobe cream everywhere. I really like that on your legs. Um, 
we had Karen Cummings Palmer on and 79 mm. Lux, her uh, moisturizers have this really lovely sparkle in them, which are very good for legs as well. And this works has some very nice leg moisturizers. And finally, should we just finish off on these where we started yeah. our, our ninkles, wow. as you call them? I mean, sadly, unless you want Nothing. to go down the cosmetic route, it looks very painful. Yeah, there's just there's some knee threading tweakments, mm. um, but there's not really much you can do. So let's embrace them and enjoy yes. them. Enjoy all the bits of our body. Yeah, just go and get a body brush. Right, are you ready for a little nostalgia noodle trish? Because I've had a very nice trip down memory lane mm. this week, which took me back to my Saturdays in London in the 90s. Mm. And it started off, I'm going to take you to the sort of main point of the nostalgia noodle, which was I need to get a scrunchie for this ridiculous hair that won't stop growing. Oh. <laughs> Until I can get it properly. What, you want one now? You want one now? Yes, I want a scrunchie now. It's in, okay. you know, it's What's wrong with the hair elastic? Do. No, because it'll break because it's fine, etc. etc. Anyways, I want a nice scrunchie. Mm. Um, and then I was thinking about Madonna and her lovely velvet scrunchie and desperately mm. seeking Susan, which is a nostalgia noodle. And then I was thinking, well, where did I used to get my scrunchies? I'll go and get it there. And then I realised I can't go and get my scrunchies <laughs> where, where I used to get my scrunchies. New York? Was it New York? No, yeah. I am ridiculous enough to have done that, yeah. No, I used to go to Hyper Hyper in oh, High Street, Kensington, yes. which was a really cool boutique. Mm. And I used to spend kind of most of my Saturday afternoons wandering around looking at all the ridiculous things and buying little bits and bobs. And it, it was just a lovely little step back in time. Mm. Do you remember they had the little boutique called Sign of the Times down there that was yes. also used to have parties and you used to get flyers for things and you'd go along on a Saturday night. I just oh loved God. Hyper. Anyway, Life. That's being where cool, I went. being young, being amazing. 1987 with a scrunchie. was the first scrunchie. scrunchie. Was it? You looked that yeah. up. Gone down I've in history. Has gone down in history. Oh dear! Right, just pretty face. (laughs) Facts as well. (laughs) Have you got something stylish and fashionable for me? No, it's absolutely appalling what I've got for you. But Um, but (laughs) I think you're going to like it. Um, Mine was inspired by a little thing that popped up on my Instagram, which was this sort of embroidery thing, which caught my eye because I feel like maybe I might give something like that a go. You're looking very if you take very up nice. embroidery, I will never speak to you ever again. And yeah, I could embroider something for the birds' nests. <laughs> Where I'm going with this is having to do embroidery in needlework lessons back oh, yes. in yeah. the day. And do you remember how girls had to do needlework and domestic science and boys yeah. had to do woodworking, metalworking and technical drawing? I, I mean, ridiculous. Think about that now, it is quite something that 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 happened, and obviously you were well, never. There'd be a revolution if you tried to tell exactly. our teenagers, wouldn't you? But I've got something to show you from one of those classes. Oh, Christ, I am I going to have to pretend I like it in a no in you a can, friendship you way? Can no, screech in full horror. Well, can I tell you how? Well, I, would normally I had say. to do some embroidery. I had to pick something, and I did. I made a cushion with the uh, emblem of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. <laughs> Which I'm now showing. Oh, I think for the listeners, for the benefit of the listeners, you <laughs> embroidery wasn't your talent at school, was it? <laughs> no. It's a cockerel on sure, a ball. Were you partially sighted or something? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's the cock on a ball. It's a cock oh, on a ball. In, and in the Tottenham colours, yellow, blue and white. It's, dread, it's really bad. It's really 
<laughs> Shall I put a picture you, on the a baby? On the Facebook it group? Well, I think I was probably about thirteen. It's quite neat Dear. stitching. It's just what was I thinking? What was going Why did you do that? You're not even a football fan. I was then. I was back in the day. Back in the day. But anyway, isn't that weird that I've kept that? I don't know what that says about the other thing. Should we um, about Spurs? Should we take it to your therapist later on and see what he says about it? Yeah, definitely. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, we're going to take a few weeks off, just have a little break. We're not going away together, obviously, because that would be a bit odd. But before you know it, we will be back. So we will be back on air on May the 2nd with a lovely guest, Mary McCartney. So make sure you get ready to listen to that and also subscribe to us on your podcast provider. And don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, on Instagram, or email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.